But who do you say that I am? That was Jesus' question to the disciples after some fur- but discussion prior to that. And that, in that passage, Matthew 16, we get the great answer that Peter gives. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And indeed, that is true. Jesus doesn't just ask, who do you say that I am? He tells. And he says, I am. And we've been studying the Gospel of John in our Sunday night Bible study. And one of the reasons uh, that I love the Gospel of John is those seven I am statements that we receive throughout the Gospel of John. And we've been asking in our study, not just because of those I am statements, but in general, who is Jesus? Who is he revealed to us? As, of course, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. That's six of the seven. I left one out. I am the light of the world. He repeats that two times. He mentions it in chapter 8, and then and he declares it, but then when he heals a blind man, he says it in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. That may be familiar to you, but perhaps we've forgotten the significance of that. We maybe have failed to see how much we need his light. And he is much bigger than any one nation or people. So with apologies to Pitbull, I'm trying to show my bona fides with the young people. Jesus is the true Mr. Worldwide. If you don't know who Pitbull is, don't worry. He's a guy, a musician. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of in our darkness. And we began to see that last week and the promises that God begins to unfold. And I want to continue a little bit with that idea of promise made, but also promise fulfilled as we consider he's the light in our darkness that is prophesied, anticipated, and confirmed. So those are my three points, and they correspond to those three passages. So first, uh, prophesied. And, and the book of Isaiah is replete with the promises, full of the promises of the Messiah. Uh, Oftentimes at this time of year, rightly so, we heard it in Matthew actually quoted, but Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or Isaiah 9, 6, also another well-known passage or verse from this That we celebrate at Christmas. For to us a child is born. To us a sign is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Those are precious promises to us. And that light of promise shines brightly for us. It shines brightly for Israel. It shines brightly for the world. And Israel was to be a steward of that promise, not only for themselves, but for the blessing of the nations. But all too often, the darkness of sin 
hindered that stewardship. And yet God still comes and he still promises and he still reminds of his promise and he still unfolds it in new ways. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We hear in Isaiah 9 two. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And that is true for us as well. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And this passage in Isaiah 42 is one of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah that prophesy of the Messiah. But within those prophecy, we see different aspects of who he is, of what he will do. And... Theologians like commentators like to ask, well, who is this servant? And it could be Israel. Israel is called the Lord's servant in chapter 41, verse 9. And yet again and again, they fail. Uh, could be Isaiah himself. But the message of this is much larger than than Isaiah. Uh, Cyrus, possibly, but that doesn't seem to fit. John Oswald says there is a unique emphasis on what the on what the servant will accomplish for the world. He goes on to say, my position is that in these passages, Isaiah is speaking of an individual, almost certainly the Messiah, who will be the ideal Israel. Through his obedient service, service to God, Israel will be enabled to perform the service of blessing the nations that had been prophesied in Genesis 12.3 and elsewhere. So this was Israel's hope and ours as well, that the Messiah would come and fulfill the Lord's purposes for us and on our behalf. The Lord would provide the king that we need, the servant that we need, the Messiah that we need. And the New Testament says Jesus is that one come in the flesh for us. He's no ordinary servant He's chosen for a mission. And there's three purposes uh, that I see here in Isaiah 42. And we won't delve into all three of them. But you hear again and again that this servant will establish justice. And that's a worldwide thing. Also, that he would be a covenant for the people. That is, he will do for us what we cannot do ourselves. We break the covenant with God again and again. God keeps his part, we break it. Jesus comes to fulfill it on our behalf. But then you also heard that he will be a light for the nations. Did you hear that? Did you see that? God says, this is starting in verse 5, Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it. That's everyone and spirit to those who walk in it i am the lord i've called you in righteousness i will take you by the hand and keep you i will give you and here's part of that purpose a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and prison and from prison those who sit in darkness the lord is the creator of all he gives breath to all of us so that we should not be surprised then that he will provide for us all. He will provide a servant savior to be a light for us, not just for Israel, but for the nations. 
And what does that light do? Well, it frees us from our spiritual blindness. It rescues us from the prison of our sin. And it gives light to those who've given up. Those who feel like there is no hope. Those who find themselves imprisoned by their grief or their shame. And all they have left to do is to sit in it. God frees us from that as well. And in the second servant song, Isaiah 49, we hear in verse 6, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back preser- the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach out to the end of the earth. And so this message of salvation is a worldwide message. It's a worldwide rescue mission. Israel is included in that to the degree that they look to Jesus as their Messiah. The light is for them as well. And Paul would say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in Acts 30, 13, 47, in the early days of the church, Paul and Barnabas quote Isaiah 49, 6. Jesus is the light of the world who is prophesied. But not only is he prophesied, he's anticipated. And anticipation be a, can be a good thing or a, a bad thing, depending on the circumstances. I assure you that when I've had all these scans to go and see what's going on in my body with cancer and different things like that, there's a sense of anticipation that I do not enjoy. I don't look forward to those times. I certainly look forward to good news, and I pray for that, and I thank God for that. I don't take any of that lightly, but I don't feel a wonderful sense of anticipation. And maybe you can relate it with your own circumstances. That's on one side, but on the other side, what about the anticipation of a child or a grandchild? I saw this wonderful advertisement for Coke that was only shown in Argentina about 10 years ago. And in the background, there's the Bee Gees song, To Love Somebody. You may know that song. It's uh, a little bit dated now, but it still holds up. And the, the song lyrics, babe, you don't know what it's like. Baby, you don't know what it's like to love somebody. To love somebody the way I love you. So that's playing in the background. And the wife comes into the living room to greet her husband and to show him the positive on the pregnancy test. And he gets up and they embrace. And then it fast forwards rather quickly uh, from infant to toddler. And what it shows is the sleepless nights. The father stepping on the Legos and ending up in great pain. The distractions that come while you're trying to do your work. Things getting broken because toddlers toddle and do such things. And so he's there in the living room as it ends. It's about a minute long and he's drinking his Coke. So that's where the Coke comes in. And she comes in with another pregnancy test. He's drinking the drink and his eyes go wide. And the first look, and it's as Barry Gibbs is hitting this high, long note. And you've been prepared that he's shocked and dismayed. But instead, what he does is he jumps up after that, his eyes go wide, 
and he embraces his wife amidst the chaos of the household with toys and stuff all over. And they begin to rejoice in the birth of this child. Despite all those hard things, they eagerly anticipate this new life. And surely Zechariah anticipated the birth of his son, though you wouldn't have heard him say it. Because you may recall, Zechariah was struck mute for those nine months because he doubted the promise of God. It's understandable that he might have doubted. We might have doubted in that instance as well. But he was given that curse, if you will. We hear this in chapter 1. I didn't read this earlier, but uh, angel, the angel answered Zechariah because he says, hey, we're old. How can this be that we are going to have a child? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was spent, sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that, the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So I, I don't know what Zechariah was thinking. We don't know what Zechariah was thinking exactly. He could not speak. But I have to imagine he eagerly anticipated the birth of his child, his child being John. We usually call him John the Baptist. I feel like that's a marketing miss for Presbyterians, right? If, if he had been called John the Presbyterian, I think we, we could work with that. But instead, John the Baptist, and he's born, and Zechariah acts faithfully in giving him his name. He's not going to be named Junior. Instead, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And as this child is born, he says, no, his name's John. And let me speak of what he will do. But a part of that is not just pointing to what John's purpose was, but what John's purpose was to be in pointing us to Jesus and his purpose. And that's where we come in at the end of his prophecy. And I read from 76 through 79. So John's going to be a prophet of the Most High, not a priest like his father, a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So that's his purpose, that's his calling, that's his mission, is to point us to Jesus. And what about Jesus? Well, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, God shines the light of his love to the world through Jesus who, like, who is likened to the sunrise. You know what happened today? The sun rose. Now, we don't, Think about it because it happened day after day after day. But I, I, I tried to make the point last week that if it doesn't happen, we might have some problems. But it, it did rise and it shines on all of us as it does. And you know what? I had zero zip nada to do with it. It is all of God. And you know what? I can't control it. 
I can't shield anyone from it. I don't get to decide who gets the sun and who doesn't. The Lord is in control of such thing, and so it is with the sunrise of Jesus. At Christmas, we celebrate the dawning of that sunrise, the day spring on, from on high, to use the language of the King James. The day spring from on high. And this pulls forward from the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And in Malachi 4, 2, But for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This was anticipated in the Old Testament. It was anticipated by Zechariah. It was anticipated by John. And we do well to continue to anticipate how Christ's light will shine in our darkness. And in the shadow of death that we mourn, maybe especially at this time of year, when we not only rejoice in those that we are with, but we mourn those who are not with us. And as we look for there to be a way of peace that prevails over all. Jesus is the light of the world. It was anticipated then and it is anticipated now. And finally, I want to look at Simeon who confirmed that Jesus was the light of the world. And I've always loved Simeon. I don't know particularly why, but he's always stood out to me. He's a man who held tightly to the promise of God. He embraced the promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah come. And what an amazing promise, but also equally amazing that he believed it. Think about it. There had not been a prophet in the land for hundreds of years. And while Israel had been returned from Babylon, they're still yet under another nation. So they're not particularly free, not completely. There's all sorts of reasons to doubt. So I admire him for his perseverance in following and trusting the Lord despite everything that he could see. All those reasons. And so we're told that he trusts. He's a devout and righteous man. That's his character. He's probably a layman. He's not given a title. He's there waiting. And we read, indeed, that his time had come. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, not only that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. You see that in verse 26. But also... That when Christ was brought to the temple after his birth in accordance with the law, verse 27, he takes him in his arms because he knows. He knows that this child is the one he's, uh, he's been waiting for. He embraces this infant, this king, this Messiah. And it is surprising, if nothing else, This embrace, because he's embracing the child who will embrace us in his love on the cross. So Simeon shows just how big God's love and embrace of us through the gospel is. It's not a 
a small thing. It's not a tepid embrace. It's not a side hug. It's like when you get smothered and you can't get free. It's what God, when he does, when he comes and he rescues and redeems us. And Simeon says, Lord, verse 29, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. This is for all people. We hear that repeatedly, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Luke, possibly, likely a Gentile himself, recording this. Simeon is reminding us of something that's been revealed in the Old Testament, but largely unfulfilled to this point. Abraham was given that promise in Genesis 12 that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And ultimately, that's fulfilled in Christ. That's why we sing, Father Abraham, rightly so, following the words of Scripture. And this isn't universalism, that all will be saved, but it is universal revelation. The light is for all, a light shining in the dark. So that we would be able to see, that we would be able to know who God is, that we would be able to understand our need for him. Through Christ, the light of the world, the truth about salvation is made clear. And the world is very different because Christ has come into it. The Lord does not hide his salvation through Jesus, though we can acknowledge that it started in a small and unusual way. We are the Gentile world that Zechariah saw. I don't know if anybody has any Gen- uh, Jewish you know, background, but probably most of us are evidence, confirmation that Jesus is the light of the world, that Zechariah held the Savior in his arms and marvel at that. By this light, we've been rescued and redeemed, adopted into the family of God, embraced in his love. That's what Christmas is about. And it confirms what Zechariah is saying as he held the infant Jesus. There is a picture, and I'll conclude with this in, in the book of Revelation. A picture of heaven, and what has been prophesied many times, what has been anticipated, and what is confirmed in its reality is seen there too, that Jesus is the light of the world. As we look and see who gathers to worship the king. Who comes before the throne? Who sees by this light who our God is and by our Savior? Well, we hear in Revelation 5, and between the throne, this is verse 6, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which were seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, 
each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest our gods, and they shall reign on earth. That is what we look forward to when we gather before the one who has brought light into our world. And it is confirmed when we lean on Christ, not just a little bit, but completely for our salvation. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that you are making all things new, and we will sing a new song. And now we begin to sing our songs, praising you, our God and King, praising you who sent your Son Praising you who gives the spirit with your son. That we might follow you, our triune God. And that we might be brought into your family. Lord, thank you that the son has risen on us. Not because of who we are or what we do. But because of your great mercy towards us through your son. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Jacob's going to come and lead us in communion this morning.